Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So if you ever run into this situation, you have the travel itch to go somewhere, but your partner doesn't quite share that same enthusiasm. Or you want to go to one destination, but your partner wants to go somewhere else. It can be a dilemma, but the folks from Trafalgar Tours may have a few solutions. It's in a blog called What to Do When Your Partner Doesn't Share Your Love for Travel at Trafalgar.com. So we'll chat with Wolf Ponick, president of Trafalgar Canada, in a few minutes about what you can do. Plus, we're right in the middle of ski season, so we'll head to Fernie, B.C. and visit the Lizard Creek Lodge and get an update on how the ski season is going and learn about the lodge itself. And later in the podcast, we'll see what it's like to explore Ontario and Quebec by cruising the St. Lawrence Seaway with St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. But, as we mentioned, let's start our podcast this week by talking about the issue of what to do when your partner doesn't share your love for travel. It's the title of a blog at Trafalgar.com, and it can become quite an issue in a relationship. So joining us now to give us a few ideas on how to solve the issue is Wolf Ponick, president of Trafalgar Canada. Again, the website is Trafalgar.com. Hi, Wolf. Hello, Randy. Always good to chat with you. Uh, I was intrigued by your uh, blog. Well, not your blog, but the blog on the Trafalgar website. What to do when your partner doesn't share your love for travel. Uh, ideally, I guess you would probably have this ironed out uh, or figured out before committing into a relationship, but people do change over time and some people want to travel more. Other people don't want to travel more and and it can become quite a problem, can't it? It can, Randy. And our approach to the topic is not to create a problem, but actually to really look into the genesis of a decision to travel on one's own. And I can say that over the years, and especially in these uh, in these pandemic times, the attitude towards solo travel has changed considerably. Uh, traditionally, solo traveler would have been somebody who either decided to travel on their own or for different set of circumstances could not have a friend or a partner to travel with. Nowadays, that's different because, you know, the desire to travel is so strong among many people, but certain couples or let's say or, or, or people who would travel together have maybe a little bit of a different emotional pull towards travel on one hand because of the circumstances or they have a different taste as to what they would consider a priority right now in terms of the destination. Some people want to go back to where they were happy mm. and had happy times before the pandemic. Some people have a bit of a list in their head and they say, I've been to, say, Europe several times, but I've never been to Scandinavian countries, so I would want to go to Scandinavia. And the other side says, no, I don't feel like going to Scandinavia because of, let's say, different reasons. So, yeah, for sure, there is a growing trend of our travelers, and I'm speaking based on our data and our, our past travelers and prospective travelers, wanting to uh, go at it on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's two parts to this. One is your partner doesn't want to travel at all. 
And yeah. the other half, the other part of it would be they do want to travel, but they don't necessarily want to go where you want to go. So let's talk exactly. a little bit about solo travel. You're right. I think uh, a lot of people are now more uh, attuned to to travel by themselves. It's not such an intimidating thing anymore. And you do learn a lot about yourself, don't you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we want to say to everybody who's considering solo travel, please discuss it first with your partner and ensure that the reason behind wanting to go on a solo trip is very clear. And, 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 and you know, your partner does understand what is, what is driving your desire. The other thing is, let's not forget technology, Randy. Sometimes partners can share, or nowadays, when one travels, they can really share with their partners or with the audience at large their travel or the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the whole exploration mm-hmm. that they're embarking upon. And I can tell you, I love nothing more than when I see on Instagram some of my friends or some of my colleagues traveling right now, and I'm saying, wow, that is so great. And they're often there on their own. So I think that's important thing to know that technology does make solo travel also very accessible to one's friends, families, partners. Number two, one does not have to travel entirely on their own. Let's look at what are the options in front of the solo traveler. Yes, they can go on their own. There are FIT suppliers that can put together a program. One does go travel on one's own based on their desired itinerary, which is put together by a travel professional. Or A lot simpler, I would say, one does join a guided vacation because one can travel solo, but not necessarily alone. One can travel solo, but be a part of the group. And that does not mean that one would need to stick with the group at all time. Like on a Trafalgar, a solo traveler can either decide to share the room at no extra cost with another traveler, get to meet some people, or have a single room for themselves spend as much time with the group and as much time on their own because there's always uh, a free time built in and, and people can choose from options of what to do and they can also ask travel director for, for recommendations because we have travel directors and local experts who can really find the answer to any intricate travel desire that one of our travelers might have. Mm-hmm. So I think... It's really, really important to look at the options. Well, and you're right, too. It's best to discuss this with your partner, what uh, options are out there. We're not, uh, we're not uh, relationship experts here, but uh, that's good advice, I would say. And, yeah, and the other half of it, too, like if you wanted to travel together but not necessarily go to the same places, you can probably find an itinerary that would you could find a, a good compromise, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the other thing when we, when we discuss solo travel, I think it's important to kind of understand, uh, you know, a little bit of science behind it or a little bit of data. Uh, solo travels on the rise. We have it from our own data. We also have it from Google search trends. A solo travel is not necessarily something that the young person would do because maybe they have more time or, you know, they're maybe a little bit more adventurous. Actually, it is on the rise among the mature people, and the leading force in solo travel are uh, female travelers who are either traveling solo or a newest trend is there are specially designed guided vacations for female travelers only. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, those options and those drivers are really important for everybody to understand because there may have been a bit of a stigma of solo travel, but now it's really a, a common way of traveling, a common way of finding, you know, one's groove, finding one's, uh, one's kind of limits or trying to learn what one's limits are, getting a little bit out of the comfort zone, trying different things. Because, you know, when we travel with partners, I like alpine skiing. My wife doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to do something that's going to be in line with what, what, I, what is my life, but she likes art galleries. I do like them too, but maybe she can say, hey, you go skiing or you do whatever you want to do. I'm going on a guided vacation to Italy because I want to revisit the Vatican, mm-hmm. the Vatican museums, or the Uffizi in Florence, or, 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 or Pitti in Florence, so I want to see some art. Exactly. There's always options, and it's a, a great article. It's uh, What to Do When Your Partner Doesn't Share Your Love for Travel. You can find it on the Trafalgar website, trafalgar.com. It's uh, always a pleasure to chat with you, Wolf. You're always knowledgeable. He's uh, president of Trafalgar Canada. Again, the website, trafalgar.com. Uh, thanks for chatting, Wolf. Appreciate it. Thank you, Randy, and I hope we'll have as many travelers as soon as possible. Well, we're right in the middle of ski season now, and one resort that is conveniently located right on the mountain for skiers in Fernie, B.C., is the Lizard Creek Lodge. So here to tell us more about the Lizard Creek Lodge is Matt Mosteller. He's the Senior VP for Resorts of the Canadian Rockies, which includes the Lizard Creek Lodge in Fernie. The website is lizardcreek.com. Hi, Matt. How's it going today, Randy? It's going very well. Uh, Let's cover some of the basics to start about the Lizard Creek Lodge. The website is lizardcreek.com, by the way. So where is it located in Fernie? I know it's in Fernie. And when did it become part of the RCR family? Well, it's uh, located, obviously, in beautiful Fernie, British Columbia, like you said. And, and I think to, to share with everybody, uh, Fernie, uh, four-hour drive south of Calgary, uh, located in the beautiful southeastern part of British Columbia, nestled up uh, against the Canadian Rockies. Um, the range uh, on one side, both uh, called the Canadian Rockies, but the actual range that is right above Lizard Creek Lodge is called the Lizard Range, and aptly named. Uh, a creek comes down the valley on that side, and that's the uh, the name where uh, Lizard Creek gets its name. Um, and Lizard Creek Lodge was built as a, a luxury uh, condo lodge, one of the first that came out during the the interest um, when all the rage and, and it still is uh, for ski in ski out lodging with full kitchens. Uh, and both they were units that were sold, uh, so people own those units, um, and they're in the, the rental pool uh, managed by Lizard Creek Lodge. And then there's the lodge itself, which has the Cirque restaurant in it, uh, has 10 rooms uh, in it. They're, they're full, uh, uh, with all complete with uh, full kitchens as well, and has the pool, outdoor pool, a beautiful outdoor pool, in fact, uh, 50 feet from the lifts. So it's a wonderful place to come down and enjoy the pool and hot tub uh, as well. Um, but the real 
really neat thing is is that 50 feet proximity from the lift. So it's ski in, ski out, a true ski in, ski out property. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so how has the ski season been so far? Tell us about that. Well, it's been an epic one. I, uh, if you could see my smile on a radio <laughs> show, so I'm casting a, a powder lover's uh, smile back to everybody. Um, the passion for snow, you know, in fact, we're celebrating 60 years, the celebration of snow and the people uh, that all have been part of that 60 years, uh, their passion uh, and uh, their care and commitment to Fernie Alpine Resort and the community of Fernie and all of our team who have been part of that journey. Uh, and, and with that, January, uh, end of December into January has been deep snow. In fact, we're over 20 feet, which usually uh, we cross that milestone a little later in the year. So over 20 feet of snow has already fallen and everybody uh, in the community and all the guests that were here for the holidays all had an uh, absolute uh, wonderful time skiing deep, deep, uh, fresh snow. And it looks like the forecast for uh, into early February is quite positive. Uh, and, and, uh, and if everybody's wondering what to do in the springtime, typically March is the snowiest month at Fernie Alpine Resort. Uh, and I have to ask, getting back to your pool, the outdoor pool is open all year round. <laughs> How does that work in winter? <laughs> yeah, and you know what's amazing in the winter time, uh, and certainly at Fernie, because well, one out of three days we get ten centimeters of snow. That's the average during the winter. Um, is that you're sitting out there and watching these wonderfully big snowflakes uh, fall slowly from the sky? It's quite magical uh, in the lighted uh, pool uh, in the evening time. Uh, it's it's a wonderful wonderful way to wind down the day of skiing. And for those that don't ski or snowboard, um, you know, there's also um, that, that enjoyment of the pool, but also there's a fitness uh, center in the, in the lodge itself, as well as a uh, massage facility. Um, and, you know, Fernie has, uh, it's, no, it's a legend. Uh, you know, it's really in the Canadian Rockies. It's got the most alpine bowl skiing. It has the most runs, and it has the biggest vertical of the Canadian Rockies uh, ski areas. So, um, it's quite a place uh, that provides skiing and riding for, for all levels of ability and enjoyment. Tell me about the ice bar now. Yes, the ice bar, which, you know, is a, uh, um, what we say is the cooled to the temperature where the optimum tasting of vodka happens. Um, it's, a, it's cool for, for us humans at that temperature. <laughs> so we make sure everybody puts on a very large Heli Hansen uh, down-filled parka, uh, and and then they're all geared up with gloves and a toque, and people then go in for uh, private tasting, uh, with which is handled by uh, one of our uh, experts, who um, then goes through the the background of all the different varieties of vodka that are served at, at premium vodka at really super cool temperatures. Uh, it sounds like a fun experience. Uh, let's just get back to the accommodations. You mentioned the different uh, or the, the number of accommodations, but uh, just describe uh, w- the different types and, and what's available. Yeah, that's a really good question. Because it was built uh, for uh, people to purchase uh, units in, it was really built with a lot of uh, variation uh, and uniqueness. So there are a lot of different variety of units that are quite big in size from square footage, um, two be- you know, anywhere from a studio to three bedrooms and, and, and two and three bedrooms with, with loft as well. So 
They're they're quite spacious, uh, and unlike a small or traditional hotel room, these are not that. And they come complete with that full kitchen. Um, typically, the the, the uh, well one, two, and three bedrooms all have like a separate area for dining. And um, you know we're really unique to the place and where the site is. They have a beautiful view of the headwall, which is a big rocky mountain feature of of the Lizard Range right in front of you, rising above you. Um, so yeah, and with underground um, heated, of course, uh, parking, uh, you you really can park your vehicle and you don't have to get back in your vehicle uh, for your stay and really enjoy the ski and ski out time. So a lot of people come packed with their their groceries unload there's an elevator uh in each of the buildings uh, unload all their stuff and then everybody enjoys their time you know some want to ski and snowboard like crazy um a few may want to read a book or relax and or play games and and sit in front of the fireplace and all that good times can be had at lizard creek lodge is it busier in winter in ski season or summertime well you know different type of uh, guests certainly the traveling uh, uh, you know, summertime traveler is quite busy during the summertime uh, as a destination, not only Fernie, but people that are traveling through Fernie. Um, uh, the popularity of, of the Cave Rockies, the proximity to national parks, uh, people come for the incredible fly fishing, uh, famous for uh, mountain biking and hiking uh, as well. Um, but in the in the winter time, definitely the focus is is all about winter activities, uh, and and it's really um, what you'd have more is that the ski area has a little bit more of the the focus of the visitors' interest. But in the summertime, you know, uh, and in winter, people should take time to visit historic uh, downtown Fernie, mm-hmm. which is an incredible. Um, array of, of uh, um, vintage uh, buildings that have all been um, enhanced and have incredible great uh, craft uh, dining and, and uh, shopping experiences and a wonderful street to, to walk up and down. Yeah, it is a, it is a cool little town uh, and it does offer a lot of things. Uh, when does the ski season end usually? Like when, when does it start to transition over into the summer activities? Yeah, we, we usually look at an ending around the, the early to mid-April time frame. And uh, then because, like you said, there's over, you know, up to 40 feet of snow, um, so it takes a little while for, for that to, to melt. Uh, and, and then we usually fire up the um, mountain biking operation and summer hiking operation uh, towards the end of June, early uh, July. And, and before that, people also uh, start um, coming down to fly fish and or go cross-country mountain biking, which is a wonderful, enjoyable experience uh, as well. And during the peak summertime, you know, during uh, July and August, there's, everybody's doing everything from camping to mountain biking to hiking to, to water sports in the river and enjoy, enjoyment of, uh, of water activities. There's an incredible um, uh, river rafting company there as well. Um, lots of things to do during the summer mm-hmm. season, for sure. Well, there is lots of things to do. You can find uh, lots of information on the Lizard Creek Lodge website, inferniebclizardcreek.com. Matt Mosteller is the Senior VP of the Resorts of the Canadian Rockies. It's uh, always great to chat, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Take care.
Well, if you're looking for a unique way of exploring parts of Quebec and Ontario this summer or fall... How about traveling by boat along the St. Lawrence River? There's one cruise line that does just that, aptly named St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. So here to tell us more about taking a cruise with St. Lawrence Cruise Lines is Daniel Beals. He is the marketing coordinator with St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. The website is stlawrencecruiselines.com. Hi, Daniel. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to learn all about St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. I think this would just be a fabulous way to explore uh, parts of Ontario and Quebec. Well, that is our territory, so to speak, and we have been doing it for some time. So you'd be making a good choice. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, the story of St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. Uh, how long have you been in business and, and uh, those types of things? Sure. We're based in Kingston, out of Kingston, Ontario. Uh, we we uh, we travel on the St. Lawrence and the Ottawa rivers, so we travel between Kingston and Quebec City, or Kingston and Ottawa. Now, when we go to Ottawa, it's important to note that we go up the Ottawa River and not the Rideau Canal because uh, uh, our ship is just a little bit too deep for the Rideau Canal. The depths aren't always uh, reliable for that, but we go up the Ottawa River, and it's a uh, uh, quite interesting river as well. The company was. Started in 1981, we have one vessel, the Canadian Empress, and uh, the vessel holds 64 passengers and 14 crew. So we've been doing that for a while. Now, I really should say that uh, the company is uh, family-owned and has been. It's not a, a large corporation or anything like that, and it continues to be family-owned after uh, 40 years. So it's the the Clark family that owns it. Uh, it was founded by Bob Clark, and now it's run by uh, his nephew, Jason Clark. So it is quite a intimate experience if you only have 64 passengers, a smaller uh, ship, so you can really uh, you know, in, enjoy the experience that way, right? The whole thing is really designed uh, with, the, with the small passenger numbers. It's, it is far more intimate, as you said. It's it's uh, based on relaxation, and the river is the star. So, so the whole way that our cruises are designed is that uh, our passengers are there to see the river. It's the main attraction, and and having um, less hustle and bustle around them, and and less uh, you know teeming amounts of people around them allows them to really enjoy that relaxation. Some people have compared it to being at the cottage. Um, some people have called it their summer cottage. Um, I wouldn't say that that's exactly the way it is because it's a little more uh, formal in how dinners work and things like that. But it it has you have all the freedom you would have at the cottage to enjoy yourself. Plus, you don't have to do any of the cleaning, right? You don't have to do the dishes and you don't have to look after the place. That's right. We have people to do that. So. Well, let's talk about the onboard experience a little bit, uh, the ship itself. Uh, what do you offer? What's included? Okay. So so just can I talk about the specifics of the vessel, the the, yeah. the size of it and so forth? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the, the vessel is 108 feet long. It's 33 feet wide. Uh, there are 32 staterooms on board, and and that makes for our 62 passengers. Mm-hmm. Almost every stateroom has two twin beds, uh, so there's not a lot of double beds in premier rooms. A lot of the design is in the fashion of uh, the classic uh, river boats and steamboats of the 1900s. So these rooms aren't, uh, uh, we never advertise that they're massive rooms. What they're made for is is for sleeping 
and uh, spend a little bit of time in the morning to get on with your day. But a lot of the cruise is spent in our observation decks on the outer decks and going to attractions and so forth during the day. So as we cruise downriver, we stop at all the little ports downriver in Ontario and Quebec. And and, uh, typically we go to one or two attractions a day, which could be a community museum, uh, an outdoor historic park, um, things like that, a national historic site, those those kinds of things. And that's really the tone of our, our cruises. It's, it's the relaxation, the river, and then the history and the ports and the locations along the river. Well, I'm looking at your website, stlawrencecruiselines.com. So there's a number of different itineraries. Uh, what is, is there one more popular than, than others? Or if someone just says, hey, uh, I want to try your cruise out, what would be a good one? As the marketing coordinator, I hate that there is one more popular than the other because I should be able to make them all equally popular. However, I would have to say that Quebec City uh, is our most popular. Um, It's most popular because of the allure of Quebec City itself and and the ability to see um, from Kingston, uh, you know, lower Canada to upper Canada uh, or upper Canada, lower Canada, rather, as it was done. Uh, by the original explorers in the country. You could go from Quebec City to Kingston or, the, or you could go in the other direction. The difference between uh, English and French culture, uh, French-Canadian culture in both locations, you get to experience that. You stop, uh, you know, you get to see the Port of Montreal, which is a major international port in the center of culture. And then, again, uh, Quebec City itself, you know, cobblestone streets, mm-hmm. just just a wash in culture and and feeling like uh, over the course of a very short distance, if you were driving, but six nights, seven days of cruising, you you really feel uh, the difference in culture between uh, Kingston and and you know the GTA, that kind of thing, and Quebec City. It's it's remarkably different. And I would think, uh, well, you're a smaller ship, uh, you would get to visit parts of call that. Well, I, people may not even heard of, didn't know existed, right? <laughs> there would be some small towns, I'm sure, for your audience that, that they wouldn't have heard of. Um, I hope that some of them have heard of Kingston. Uh, Kingston is uh, located in a very unique position in that it's uh, three hours west to Toronto, three hours east to Montreal, and two hours north to Ottawa. So really, we're right between those three major cities. Um, and then once we go down the river, yes, there's towns with names Gananoque, Prescott, Brockville, and then in Quebec you have Lake Coteau, in Quebec Trois-Rivières, Montreal. Um, you really get to see a lot of little ports. Uh, we do stop in Cornwall on certain cruises as well, and you get to see how these towns and cities grew along the St. Lawrence River, especially um as a center of commerce over the last 50, 60 years. Now, are the shore excursions uh, included? Like, what is included? Obviously, uh, your meals and et cetera. Sure. All your travel, your meals are included. Um, domestic beer and our ship's reserve wine are, is included with your meal for those who uh, enjoy that uh, glass of wine with their dinner, that kind of thing. Um, uh, there's entertainment in our, in our grand salon every evening that's included. And all the shore tours and excursions are included as well. So the only things that aren't included are the HST, 
there, so there will be HST on top of your cruise fare, and there will be uh, a port fee for the Port of Quebec, which is $16. And you're not crossing international borders, so you don't have to worry about that, right? That, that's that's true. So so uh, we stay in Canadian waters. There There is a, a section of about 15 minutes where we're in the U.S. waters, but they know we're there and they're okay with us crossing through to stay in the, the main channel of the St. Lawrence Seaway. We only dock on the Canadian side. So for Canadian travellers... They don't have to worry about passports or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're always in a Canadian port overnight. Um, and and we're always around 15, 20 minutes from shore, I say to people as well. So so for people, uh, you know, I, I can't recall the last time we had some time when we had to rush to shore. But if we had to, we could get there in 15 minutes. We're that close. When do you start sailing this year? So we'll start this season on May 8th, although I better say May 12th because our first cruise is chartered and booked, and I wouldn't want anyone <laughs> to get their sights set on that one and have it not be available. So I'll say May 12th to October 16th. Um, cruises in the spring, and that's May, and, and uh, almost up to the first day of summer, traditional first day of summer are spring savings, so they're 10% cheaper than the rest of the season. The spring and the fall, or rather the summer and the fall are our busiest time. Um, And those fall cruises tend to book before everything else. And that's because fall cruise to Quebec City with the leaves Mm -hmm. changing and, 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 uh, you know, fall harvest and color tour. When you get to see Kingston to Quebec City with all the colors, that's the most popular cruise. And those ones will fill up very quickly. Um, A couple of them right now, I think, only have a couple rooms left. So. Well, again, I think it'd be a great way to explore uh, parts of Quebec and uh, Ontario. The uh, website is stlawrencecruiselines.com, and Daniel Beals is the uh, marketing coordinator for St. Lawrence Cruises. Here's to uh, a good season, Daniel. Thank you for your time. Thank, thank you so much. I, I, I shouldn't. I'm going to say the phone number once, only because uh, you know we have a small company here as family owned, and 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 the boss, the owner here, said. Please say the phone number. So I'm going to say it's 1-800-267-7868. Please go to the website if you didn't hear it that well. But I I have to say it once or else I will have to answer for it. (laughs) Well, we don't want you to get in trouble with the boss. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Okay, thank you so much. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.